Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Good evening and welcome to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 13, Episode 16, and I'm Tim Gray in London. Uh, John Heintoff is not with us this week. He's on assignment in the Pacific Northwest. So I'm in charge for the next two hours, which is great news for you, dear listener, if you're as much a fan of single-seaters as I am. Uh, Nick Damon is down in Milton Keynes. Nick, what's coming up on tonight's show? We have all the usual features, Tim. Excellent. Which are? Uh, which will be a bit of Formula One. Uh, we've got um, we've got some uh, sports cars with Graham Goodwin. We've got a fantastic special, well, special guest in many ways in Jeremy Shaw talking about all things indie and indie supports. And we back it up with that doyen of American pit lanes, Shay Adam. Uh, yes, that's pretty much it. Uh, we'll also have a points press release of the week uh, and uh, some other things. Uh, as Nick says, all the usual features will include still to come. And apologies for absence. Uh, none of those from Nikki Swan. She's uh, listening live tonight after a few weeks away. Uh, Robert Stevens, no apologies needed in his garage in Austin listening. Uh, Shane says no apologies for absence. Listening live and planning menu for mid-Ohio. Uh, Jack Gabriel will be getting the podcast as it's bath time for a five-month-old kit. He went to uh, Gerston uh, Downhill Climb at the weekend. Uh, Nick Holland is listening live, uh, going from Corby to Bedford. Uh, Magnus Berglund is also tuning in live tonight. Michael Denny uh, listening live as long as the train Wi-Fi holds out. Don't go through a tunnel. Uh, that must be about two minutes. Yeah, James Counter, no apologies for absence from him tonight. He's having sausages in cider with a side order of Hindy. Well, he's not going to be getting his side order of Hindy from us tonight, so uh, hopefully he's got uh, a little uh, cut out and keep one from uh, a magazine or something like that. Uh, Craig Mace listening live tonight, apart from a quick splash and dash at nine to pick up number one son from Scouts. Uh, oh, he might miss a bit of Grand Goodwin at that point then. Uh, listening live says Andrew H for the first time in a while thanks to a broken hand keeping off me off work a uh, little bit unclear whether the broken hand is meaning you can listen to us live or meaning you couldn't listen to us live uh, right turn lover not listening live he has to finish watching IndyCar before uh, tonight's show good idea because we will be talking about it with uh, Jeremy Shaw in the second hour of the show uh, and uh, we'll also be joined, as Nick mentioned, by Aaron Tielitz, uh Indy Lights driver of some uh, questionable luck in the start of this season. 
Uh, Chris Suku, visa application time again. That means he can listen to the show. Uh, and uh, no apologies to absence from Paul Morgan either. Finally, Kevin Payne has finally caught up with a backlog of MWM, uh, so he's listening live tonight as well. Uh, Nick Damon, uh, let's shuffle our paper and head into the news. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Uh, the motto of this show is uh, uh, if they uh, have wheels and keep score, then we'll talk about it. Uh, we're going to start about something equally yes. competitive but without wheels, uh, which happened on Sunday. Hovercraft. No, the London the Marathon. Uh, there were oh, okay. a number of uh, people from the world of motorsport uh, taking part. Uh, including Darren Turner. I knew Darren Turner was taking part. Uh, yeah, yes. that's anyone I knew. Uh, he finished I mean, um, no, 18,075th. Uh, Excellent. Uh, do, you get, do you get points for that? Probably not. Uh, Andrew Stevenson, no. who uh, works in the aerodynamics department at Force India, was 24,802nd. Uh, his colleague oh, Dean dear. Walsh did slightly better, 14,348th. And Formula One journalist Chris Medland uh, was the best at 13,110th. Well done, he, them all. He did it in a time of... Everybody now rides... Right, everyone now runs for charity, don't they? Because you don't see how we can get an entry. So they have obviously raised some good money for their good causes. So excellent. Well done, lads. Indeed. Uh, on to... Uh, races which did have wheels and engines and we're going to start uh, in Aston on yes. Saturday Nick oh, excellent so we're starting we're starting are we going to split the two the two day event are we like start with Aston on Saturday then mysteriously move on to Aston on Sunday like about half an hour's time yes because <laughs> uh, Aston on Saturday is a traditional day for racing but World Superbike doesn't follow tradition does it anymore um, now they have recently moved that tradition i noticed the grand prix has been on a sunday the last couple of years i'm not quite sure most things which used to run on saturday like the British grand prix used to is because you know you couldn't run on sunday because of various you know sacred sacrosanct of the sabbath as such and i wasn't sure whether that was an Aston thing which is unlikely given how kind of like um uh, secular and uh, relaxed the dutch are so who knows but uh, yeah so they so the, what actually happened was the motorbikes, the superbikes, sorry, had a uh, two-day event, as usual, day one on Saturday and day two on Sunday, with a race on each day. And the Saturday race was particularly interesting because it saw on pole position uh, um, uh, Alex Lowe's, which is yes. the first pole for a Yamaha for many years. Um, which Did he, he convert it into a win? To anything. No, he converted it into I think, about a 12th place because he was running all right. He ran sort of second and third, didn't get the whole shot. And then something went up with his bike and he just drifted back uh, over time uh, and finished 12th. But it wasn't all bad news for Yamaha. Because? Because local star, local star, Marco van der Mark, uh, came second. Too much to great cheering from the uh, packed Assen crowd. So he was second. Uh, Chaz Davis was third. And I've no idea if you've got the results there or not, but I think you can guess who won. Was it Jonathan Ray? It was Northern Ireland's Johnny Ray. So, Did yeah, he so repeat he that, that on Sunday? No, no. he didn't. No, he, no, he did he not. No, because he didn't. But the good news was... So far this season, he's failed to win two races in a weekend, has he? 
He has, yeah. But the thing to remember is, I think, yeah, the definitely the bike's more even. And the second one's quite hard to win because he starts from ninth on the grid in this kind of weird, slightly reverse grid they run, where the top three end up being so third ends that starts seventh, second starts eighth, third starts ninth, everyone else kind of shuffle three, so fourth starts first. It's very confusing. Um, so he didn't manage to to, to wend his way through because. Um, Suddenly turning around a, a, a succession of poor performances, it was Tom Sykes, his uh, Kawasaki teammate, who not only won, but won by whatever the motorcycle equivalent of a country mile is. I suppose a several calls a straight and a bit more. So um, Tom uh, had some, some great form, won that one. Johnny Ray forced his way eventually to second, and Marco van der Mark was third. So a double podium for um, the Yamaha uh, riding Dutchman. But unfortunately, of course, and once again, Alex Lowe's um, fell off. Well, once again, he fell off the first time. So, yeah, so what had a, a meeting that started with such promise um, dissolved into uh, a very disappointing time for Alex because really they've been kind of very, very um, uh, close to two of them and you know, nip and tuck on each event. And this time it looked like Alex had got a, a, a lead over Marco with the pole position, but obviously home field advantage and, and a bit of extra luck and some good riding and Marco got the points. And that actually now puts me to fourth overall uh... in and on the other side of the world, in Texas, we had MotoGP. Oh, yeah, I know. Can we finish this? Look, so Johnny Ray is leading yes. uh, the World Championship by 30 points, and it's 25 for a win, so not that much, from Chaz Davis, who's second. Markham Landry, who obviously started with a double win uh, in round one. That was, I think, round six, was it round five? Round five. Um, he started with a double win. He is now out in uh, his third Michael Van Mark is fourth Tom Sykes is fifth off that win Javi Forres um, is doing very well as a, a privateer also a privateer is in sixth and then Alex Lowe's is in seventh um, and then it's a long gap to anybody else but uh, Jay Ray has a 30 point lead which may mean he may, may be winning for the fifth time in a row we don't know so now do your link uh, there was also motiva- uh, motorcycling on the other side of the world in Austin, Texas where something which everybody knew would ha- happen happened are we talking about the poor quality of the tarmac? Uh, oh, no, that's no, we're not. Uh, that... that's, I'll, I'll just do my thing first, which is, which is basically Mark Marquez won really easily despite a pointless grid penalty and has now won six on the spin. But interestingly... Um, Can we, we talk about the penalty the, first? Uh, go on, then. It was for blocking of yes. uh, Maverick Vinales in qualifying. Got should he have been given the penalty, first of all? But it might, I suppose it might one of those trying to make it a little bit more interesting. He's obviously just going to win. He was still half a second faster for that, four tenths of a second faster before that penalty. I don't know. It's it's probably not, but you know, and blocky penalties are always a bit iffy. What do you what, think? What, given it? Well, I I thought he should have been excluded from the uh, whole meeting. Well, yes, but you know, they, 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 that would have probably have helped the uh, the openness of the race. <laughs> uh, um, yes, carry on. So I don't think the penalty was harsh enough. You obviously uh, agree that the penalty he was given is completely pointless. Uh, Valentino Rossi didn't have a great day either. Fourth, didn't like the time. I know the interesting thing about the the track was was um, in our control booth down in uh, uh, Navarra, where John, myself, and uh, uh, Joe. Joe and Andy were doing the uh, preventive race. I said Joe, Joe Young, I said, doing the Creventic race. Uh, we found they had the MotoGP channel. So in Spain, there was a MotoGP channel, which is 
I assume normally cost extra money, but just seem to be there where they have literally minute by minute quality coverage of every single thing that moves on the track with four people doing analysis of it. Um, but one thing we did see is we were watching the practice, and I thought I, it was it was a it wasn't it wasn't the greatest connection to the TV. It was an old fashioned aerial connection, and it was a bit ropey. And I thought, God, that's really bad. That whole bottom of the picture looks all fuzzy and pixelated. But it wasn't. It was actually just the the, the dust off the bottom of the track. It was that bad. I don't know what. The, they done to the circuit because obviously we were there in november and it was you know obviously with cars but it didn't look that bad but the amount of dust and concrete they, 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 i think basically they tried to shave it tried to improve it take off the bumps which obviously bothered the bikes a lot more than the cars um and uh, made a complete pig's ear of it um and the track was was very very unpleasant for the riders um that didn't seem to send too many people down the road which is which is good news um because the reason for that unlike most european tracks which go all bumpy and ripply because every every three times a year they have truck racing on it which just moves the tarmac around um the reason that austin is uh, is bumpy and ripply is because it's built on landfill uh, um and there's just kind of naturally moving they didn't, because they were trying to build it quickly for the race it didn't have it long enough to settle so things like that the iconic tower you see um the lift doesn't run very much because the shafts now skewed so yeah as with many um uh, hastily built racetracks you actually need some quite heavy new underpinning and i doubt the money's there for it now it's been built but uh, again it won't affect the cars too much with the grand prix goes there in uh, october just make it more interesting but the bikes it's quite difficult okay well uh, that pretty much covers uh, all the bike news we have uh, but we're going to stay with austin uh, because uh, as you mentioned they do host the u.s grand prix later in the year and uh, they do this they announce, week, who, who, who's playing a concert? They've announced the first two acts who will uh, oh. boost the crowd with concerts before and after right. this year's Formula One race. Now, before I know they've had they've had um, they've had Taylor Swift and they've had um, Justin, Justin Timberlake, Timberlake, haven't they? Yeah. Before, um, yeah. are these people of a similar level? Uh, Saturday night's headliner that's after mm. qualifying uh, right. is a twenty-seven-time Grammy nominee. Doesn't mean very much. You can get you can get nominated seventeen times for one record. You know, best, best, you know, mid American rock, best sub rock, best pop. You know, it could be the same thing. Um, right. How many has he or she or they won? Doesn't say. Yeah, maybe not many. Maybe they've been passed over many times for a Grammy. So they've they've sat there going, "We nominated twenty seven times. I haven't won yet. We won one." Um, is it a country sort of singer or a rocky sort of singer? Uh. Neither a Hawaiian singer. Hawaiian, not Glen Medeiros. It's no. The only one I know is a really big guy who did that very nice ukulele version of um, "Over the Rainbow." He's obviously passed away, so I, I have no idea who a Hawaiian singer is. is it? Oh, it's is it Thingy? Um, he's Thingy Hawaiian. Uh, what's his name? God, oh, tell me who it is. If it's who I was thinking, I'll be honest. It's it? Bruno Mars. What's him? That's who I. Th- thought it was i genuinely was trying to i was groping around for bruno mars's name i did remember he was hawaiian oh i'm sure he must have won he must have won a lot of grammy he's surely. won 11 i've just looked it up so out of 27 nominations well, that, yeah. he's won Actually, 11 no, give that. That, that is a good that's a good booking if you're if you're that way inclined uh musically wise um i'm quite pleased like even i knew who I, I knew i meant him even though i didn't actually say it obviously it doesn't count in the bookies so who's on saturday night then tim it's exciting this that, game so that's saturday night sunday night uh, we have a female singer from Mississippi. Christina Aguilera. Who's also uh, been a movie star. 
philanthropist and accidentally shown she was wearing no pants one day. That doesn't narrow it down much. Uh, Britney Spears? It's Britney Spears. It narrowed it down enough for you. Well, I just kind of went back to people who were getting out of cars in the early 2000s who were being filmed. Mm, that's not as good as Bruno Mars, to be honest. I think, the, I think the qualifying crowd's got a better deal out of that. Uh, last year, uh, 38,916,000 uh, um, turned up for Justin Timberlake. That's a lot, 38,000. Well, there's a tenuous link to motorsport here, but do you have to pay extra for the concert or is it including your ticket? Uh, I believe it's including the ticket. However... Um, yeah. more people those 38,916 who turned up for Timberlake was more people than went to watch the Grand Prix on the Sunday right there weren't 38,000 at the Grand Prix no blimey that's not going to last long is it <laughs> uh, and in 2016 uh, we had Taylor Swift who still holds the record oh she got like a, she got like 70,000 didn't she 80,000 yeah it's yeah it's it's it's, it's, it's yeah, her and Adele you know basically you know all they the, the, the big worry for both of them is they get into a good well we've seen it happen to Adele she got in a good relationship the songs have dried up same with Taylor Swift she's just you know, once you get yourself settled with a nice lad, there's no chance of any more songs. Uh, I've just had a message from Shay Adam saying Bruno Mars should have yes, probably seen it earlier. When it came, it did flip up on my screen actually as you said it. So she is. But then again, let's be honest, Shay, whatever she is, mid twenties, is absolutely the key. The key demographic. You know, you're you're slightly past. I'm so far past. I'm really built to turn up as a major major attraction. Uh, GP3 champion George Russell yes uh, is a Mercedes F1 reserve driver he is and he's also in but this season F2. this season he yes. will also be uh, um, testing for Force India but they have Mercedes engines don't they yes uh, is he doing that at the sort of young driver test day, or is he doing it for their tyre no, test? No, he he will be uh, with uh, Force India doing some free practice sessions. Uh, Mercedes okay. uh, at the Barcelona and Budapest young driver tests, uh, and also mm-hmm. for Mercedes in the Pirelli tyre tests that we mentioned last week. So, is anybody else doing Friday practices for Force India? Because they do. F- Probably hundreds of them. Yeah. Nikita Marzipan, yeah. And Aldolfo Cellis Junior is also uh, Alfonso. Uh, a key on that one, I think. Um, what did I say? Adolfo. I say? Yes. So that, that, that is. Don't worry, I keep wanting to call him Antonio. But, uh, yes, but anyway, it is a good way of raising money for for Force India, who are who are, who are looking like they're going to be looking. They're getting a lot less prize money this year than they the next year than they got this year, or, or the year before. Uh, yes. Where were we off to this weekend for Formula One? Uh, Europe, apparently, according to Bernie. That's right. And the first. Yes, we're going to that well-known part of. Yes, that well-known part of Europe, uh, uh, the uh, the Russian steppes. Uh, I think it's that way, isn't it? Uh, to uh, Azerbaijan, um, which has, for as long as I can remember, been in Asia, but uh, now it's in Europe. 
yeah. Uh, yeah, for the back Grand Prix, the uh, race which runs through a fantastic backdrop, even that backdrop has been painted on. Uh, in places. In places, yes. I mean, some of it is very picture skew. Obviously. It is. Uh, I still want to go there. Other bit... Oh, well, cool. yeah, absolutely. No, it's a great race to go to, but other bits of it have are just um, set dressing. Uh, no, that's fine. Who thinks their team isn't going to win another race? Isn't going to win another race? Well, yeah. that's happening. But obviously, the Red Bull people. Uh, no. Because... So that means, but see, they are going to win another race. He prefers they've won one already. Uh, yes, but not necessarily this season. All right, ever. Uh, all right, then let's go for Renault. Uh, no, they're far more optimistic. McLaren? Yes. No, not McLaren. Williams, they're never going to win another race. Williams is correct. Claire Williams... Uh, says uh, Formula 1 has to adopt a $150 million budget cap from 2021. I think Claire Williams is obviously in here stating the obvious competition there. She wasn't going to win another race this year. Um, I, I did like the fact that, um, that uh, also stating the, pointing out was uh, Felipe Massa pointing out that Williams had chased, chased the dollar this year and it wasn't working well for them. We're thinking, hmm, yeah, probably that might be tr- true. Um, yes, uh, Yes, Claire, you're not going to win anything because you are not doing it in the correct way. Uh, when I started, I really thought we could win again, Williams told the German newspaper Blick. Now I do not believe that anymore. Our sport is basically broken. It's naive to believe that if you work hard, you'll be rewarded. That's not, that's not a very good message for, children, for kids, is it? It's not. Um, it's Claire Williams breaking the heart of every primary school child in, in the world. Um, yes, but let's, let's point this out. You know, they were going for it, and they were the second, be- sort of second, third best team when they started the uh, hybrid area. Um, you know, they had pole positions. They weren't very aggressive in race strategy, which is why they didn't win races. They had uh, Felipe Massa and Valtteri Bottas, which was a pretty good combination of, t- of drivers. They they took the Canadian dollar uh, with Lance Stroll, who was you know there or thereabouts, but nothing special. Um, and and, and, they, and then they sold off uh, Valtteri Bottas for some Mercedes dollar, uh, uh, and now they've sold off out to the Russians. So you know, if you if you are going to sell yourself to the highest bidder, you're going to prostitute your reputation, which is what they're doing. Then you have to expect you know to to be you know disrespected by everyone else. It's you know I, I have they might you know they are the team I supported as a kid. They are in many ways my favourite team. I have no sympathy for them. And just is very disappointing they've gone through. I don't believe that Williams, with the same sort of engineering conglomerate as people like McLaren have, need to be this penny-pinching. I think they, they could definitely be... Uh, I think that team is badly run. I think it's been badly run, um, really, since they, they uh, managed to lose the BMW engines. And I think some of that is down to, obviously, Frank being getting older and the succession plan going to his, his, uh, his, his offspring. And uh, this is nothing against Claire's... Um, uh, gender or anything like that. I think Jonathan Williams is an equally bad choice. I don't think necessarily nepotism works in these days anymore, and they should have found someone who knew how to run the team properly and actually could make a lot of money out of that name. And it doesn't make me happy to say this, but they're, they're a parody of what they used to be. Uh, Claire did concede that there are teams with less money than Williams who are doing much better this season. Yeah. Teams who actually do it properly and don't just take a couple of renter drivers. Uh, now, Nicolas uh, Tombasis, who is the FIA technical yes. officer, uh, has uh, has uh, sent out who's a fax, he go hasn't he? 
Is it actually a fax? Oh, how lovely. Uh, and what does it, it say? Which, which fax? Well, it's about three facts. He said the fact saying, um, as of now, you can stick your wing mirrors on your halo. That's the one. Is that the one? Yeah. Oh, well, you, it wasn't one where they, they, they said they're going to have a very close look at engine modes. That's the other one. I want to make sure no one's doing exhaust blowing um, again. Um, so they say no, I want to make sure there's no, no, no dodgy fuel-wasting engine modes. And then this new one is you can stick your wing mirrors on your halo. Uh, but uh, what can't you stick into your wing mirrors if they are on the halo? I have no idea. Toblerone? I don't think that's been specifically banned. Uh, cameras. Okay. Ah, so you, you can't wire them down, can you? If you put uh, if you put uh, mirrors on the halo, uh, you can't have a camera in that mirror, um, which uh, because of course they can't run a cable through the uh, fairing of the halo. Uh, what else can't you do if you're going to mount they can wrap mirrors? Around like we do. <laughs> <laughs> a cable tie. Uh, what else can't you do if you're going to have your mirrors on your halo? Uh, you, uh, um, I don't know. Use use um, particularly strong glue. Uh, make it so they can't see behind them. I don't know. What, what, what are the seconds? Tell me the second stipulation of halo-mounted mirrors. Uh, you cannot also have mirrors uh, on the uh, traditional uh, location on the monocoque. So there's no the du- dual mirroring. Extra mirrors. No you one know, wants extra mirrors. You know when you have to tow a caravan, you have those extra mirrors that you put on your car. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's that. I don't. Yeah. Given the aerodynamic effect of the mirrors, they'd rather get rid of them. Um. I don't know why they do. They, they just have cameras, and no mirrors at all. You know, like the um sports cars do, like the, the Ferraris do. Just mm. have a couple of cameras at the back of the car and a couple of screens down. They're always they're forever looking at their blooming steering wheels. They fiddle with the brake balance, whatever they're doing. So the much better idea that would be or just stick a head-up display in the in the in the helmet. Not beyond the wit of man. It's not that technically difficult. Let's start thinking. Start pushing technology. Come on. Uh, you mentioned the other technical uh, information from the FIA this mm-hmm. week, and uh, that is about uh, someone's uh, car being investigated for irregularities, and that someone is. I've no idea. Probably a Ferrari. I Ferrari. Think. Yes. Uh, according to Spanish newspaper Marca, uh, the Ferrari sounded different in China. Yes, they're, they're just they're pushing some stuff along. They're just trying to get. Um, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. The, the thing is, it, it, they're being stamped on a bit quicker this time because obviously they they want to try and uh, stop people getting into an investment arms race and also stop things getting out of hand when they they thought they. they they've reduced exhaust blowing and I think they're actually going to change the exhaust rule again for next year to make sure it can't happen problem is you see that there's a lot of p- people who've been paid an awful lot of money to, be, to, to think clever, more cleverly in the FIA and what happens is they end up thinking more cleverly in the FIA and the FIA gets upset and then has to try and stop them so it is the constant brain arms race and brain race to try and outthink the FIA Ferrari have been told, we do not accept engine maps that are specifically designed to increase the flow of exhaust in corners to be permissible. Such flow should correspond with maps that actually increase the performance of the power unit. Mm, That'll upset them, I'm sure. I'm sure they've sooner uh, sorted that one out. What else may be illegal about the Ferrari, according to Marker? Probably Probably the oil burning. Everyone's having a go at the oil burning. No, it's the steering wheel. 
Well, just because they, they, they just stuck an extra paddle on the steering they wheel. They have with stuck a, an with extra a paddle on the behind it. Yes. And people are saying it's something to do with this exhaust blowing thing. He, pr- he pulls a button and he gets a new engine map, you know, which is who knows. Um, if, there's a very good possibility that they are doing something. I mean, what you have to realise is obviously when Sebastian Vettel won his four world championships with um, Red Bull, it's because they had a fantastically under exhaust driven diffuser, which helped make the car more to his liking by sticking the rear down aerodynamically. And they had obviously over time, they had various engine maps that kept the, the exhaust blowing and everything else during the time. And he was obviously very good at using a specific throttle pattern to keep that going. So that's one of the reasons why he was so much quicker, was able to beat um, Mark Webber every week. He's just better at using the way the car worked. Um, so what they're thinking is right. Sebastian's now likes this car, and he didn't like it in Australia. So they've done something, and what they've done is the exhaust blowing. They may well have done something very minor, but the yeah, you know, the actual effect of exhaust blowing on these modern cars, you know, is probably at most like five percent of what it was before. You know, you're not blowing it directly into the diffuser; you're just wafting it occasionally at the rear wing. But you know, any little advantage is an advantage, and and, it, and exhaust blowing is obviously quite wasteful of fuel, so it's not good for the PR. So if I uh, uh, stop it and uh, let's see who wins that particular policing versus intelligence battle uh Giancarlo Minardi has been yes, in the news lo- this week lovely man he is a lovely man uh he, he does look he does a lot of red quoting these doesn't he uh yes what's his uh quotes been about this week Nick well I haven't seen Giancarlo Minardi I've seen I, I know that uh Jacques Villeneuve I don't know if he's still having a go at uh, Lance Stroll, every possibility of possible availability. Uh, what has Giancarlo said this week? Uh, he says that Daniel Ricciardo has signed for Ferrari. Oh, a lot of people said that. It's a prenup, it's a prenup haven't they? Uh, it's a yes. pre, pre-contract arrangement. Um, uh, I'd be interested about that. I don't think Sebastian Vettel would be particularly chuffed about that, given the fact that it's very, very obvious that, that Ferrari are very happy to use Kimi Raikkonen as an absolute number two. Um I don't think Ricardo would be happy with that happening. So it'd be, it's a, an interesting move that, uh, um, given the fact that Vettel, Vettel is so, solidly signed to 2020, it's, uh, it's a, be a brave thing from uh, Ferrari to do that because it's it like to st- so disharmony. Uh, Minardi said, I like Ricardo, and I also think that Ferrari, with him, has something more than a simple gentleman's agreement. Uh, he's a driver who could be very suitable for a winning team like Ferrari because he's going to stimulate Sebastian Vettel, uh, the one that today is definitely the first Maraleno driver. I want to see that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it'd be a good move. I think it'd be a good move he went to Mercedes, but um, uh, he may decide... I, mean, I think the issue with whether or not he'll stay at... Um, Red Bull is obviously the they nailed their their, their colours to um Josh the Josh Verstappen to Max Verstappen um and that has yeah you know, we had three races it looked a bit unstuck the first three races because it, it could turn around in three races time they could call him Max and one child again so um but you know it's it's obvious that that's where they want to be it's very unlikely they'll pay him the amount they're paying Max so he will feel undervalued even if he has a supposed uh, uh, equal of one status so he might want to go elsewhere and see what he can do and, and the the big question is you know they're the, the best the best engine they're going to have next year is the, is the Renault um, and there's a possibility of course they may swap over to the Honda which is going to be which is unlikely to be more competitive than Renault maybe as competitive but most likely say less competitive so you know uh, be interesting to see but my guess is he's looking to move around because he can make a, a large amount of money his, his stock is very high and he can get a nice chunky three year contract with a lot of a massive amount of money not these short cash to begin with um, and also have a chance of winning more races and, and possibly even qualifying on the front row uh, what is uh, 
Ricardo demanding from Ferrari? Uh, equal status, a large amount of money, uh, free how much, pasta. How much money? Uh, $20 million. £36 million. Pounds. Yes. What, a year? Uh, over two years. All right, okay, 18 million. Oh, that's fair enough. Is he, is, he, is he asking for an audience with the Pope as well? Because they, they can tend to throw those in. He could probably do that just by going to Formula E because they had a blessing from the Pope. They did, I know. It was an electric... It, it's an electric atmosphere. Um, <laughs> Who does Giancarlo Minardi think Red Bull will pick to replace Ricardo? Assuming he's not uh, going to stay at well, Red Bull. I suppose Carlos Sainz, I suppose. Carlos Sainz is the correct answer. Mm, he's he's being beaten by Hulkenberg, though. You know, he's, yeah. he's going to have to try and push that one back. He's trying to make out that Hulkenberg's doing something special he doesn't know about, which is um, a bit odd. Yeah, who thinks that uh, he's as good as uh, Fernando Alonso now? Do you want to start that with who's deluded? Yes. Who, who Who's deluded that... enough to think that he's as good as uh, Fernando Alonso? Well, something I actually decided I like a lot more um, as of two weeks ago, because he was on Facebook showing how he's, he's building up his radio-controlled car, because he does RC car racing as well. And that is Stoffel Van Dorn. Yes. Who is um, attempting to uh, emulate uh, Alonso? He's not got close so far. I mean, he's not miles off. I mean, and he's obviously coming up against um, a man who is, you know, very, 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 very good. So he's, um, uh, you know, he's not like he's being completely blown away. But so far, he hasn't managed to get ahead of him in the race. And obviously, Alonso has really converted those 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 starts into a, into a chunky number of points by hook or by crook or by luck or whatever it is. He has a very good points haul already. Uh, there's a Formula One story in uh, the Budapest Times uh, this week as well. Really? Oh, is it, is it Hungara ring named second, the third, le- third least interesting circuit after Barcelona and, and Macau? Macau no. Uh, it was is about it, uh, what uh, Nicky Lauda has for breakfast. Really? Yes. That, that is in depth. Does he have muesli? No, he does not. He uh, has uh, a soft-boiled egg with buttered sourdough right. bread, chopped chives, an organic right. yogurt with what, grated day? apple and raspberries. What, every day? Uh, that's his favourite, apparently. Uh, he also uh, likes uh, a Viennese coffee called the Vienna Melange, which is oh, made hello. with foamed milk. You sure it's a coffee? Not a friend? Hello, Vienna. I'm having Mavina Melange tonight. Hi. This whole article seems to be a massive uh, advert for the Cafe Imperial in Vienna, uh, which ah. has uh, started offering the Nicolauda breakfast on its menu, uh, in addition to its regular <laughs> champagne buffet breakfast. It's actually managed to get an endorsement for the breakfast. Yes. Well, I mean, let's be honest. Though. I mean, yeah, the other—it's it, better. Obviously, you had James Hunt endorsing breakfast. It'd have to be a very different uh, establishment, wouldn't it? Uh, you wouldn't be able to advertise it on television, certainly. That is true. That is true. It'd be in very small ads with an 0898 number. James Hunt breakfast available. <laughs> uh, really, there's uh, nowhere I can go about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, who's going to win this weekend oh that's a very very good question see normally I just go oh Lewis is going to 
win. Uh, but it, we've, we've had sad Lewis the last couple of races. So yeah. we need to get happy Lewis back again. Um, I think that Lewis is going to win. Um, but I think it's going to be very close. And I uh, would not be surprised to see any of the drivers if Ferrari or Mercedes win. And I include the, the man I dismissed at the start of the season. Um, but I think, again, it's going to take... A, a combination of strangeness to get Red Bull through because this is a power circuit and whatever they say they haven't got a lot of power so um, yes uh, I'm going for I'm going. so you're going to go so for Lewis <laughs> yes um, okay I'm going to disagree with you I think uh, <gasps> I'm, I'm going to say Sebastian Vettel is going to win wait wait right is this the third one or the fourth one in Baku uh, this is the fourth race in Baku, I believe. I can't remember. I can't remember being three or four. I can't remember. Uh, um, last year's, of course, was the race of the season because that was the one in which uh, yes, uh, everything Sebastian drove in, drove in into uh, Lewis. Uh, Lewis was going to win. It's quite easy. His headrest came off and um, uh, into the, Ricardo won from nowhere, and and Valtteri Bottas came from a lap down to second. And Lance Stroll got a podium, even though he lost the final position on the last corner or the last straight. So yes, it was an everything race. But we've had we've had two very good races, so it's uh, you know the chance of getting a third very good race because of course the first Azerbaijan Grand Prix was terrible. Because uh, do you remember that they they blame do you remember that they 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 blamed the GP two or Formula two race for that for why the Grand Prix was terrible for, for, for destroying they the had a track really surface act- yes. Yeah. their tyres no, they, no, they had a really action-packed F2 race I think it was F2 in those days of GP2 they had a really action-packed race with people trying going for it and it all collapsing around their ears everything everyone tried went wrong and so they reckon they had completely chastened all the F1 drivers and they all just trolled around the, you're not going to work so yeah but that wasn't the case but anyway so yes I, I, again it's another good venue and another good race don't forget so so everything about, I, I reckon we have another good race so everything about F1 will be perfect again okay and then we go to um, Spain, and then we go to Monaco. And, and after those two, will not be perfect. Races, yes. Everything will be awful. Yeah, it's disastrous. The and then we'll go to Canada, and that's always a good race. It'll be fine. You know, I'm, you know, what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, we do need to make overtaking more easy. Um, that is for sure. But um, the it's great. It's disastrous. It's fabulous. It is ridiculous. They they do need to do something about it. They need to get it back, at least to how it was four or five years ago but they don't need to go overboard but uh, but of course the problem is you've got a massive press pack who all have to write a story every day and you get a lot of rubbish out there uh one story i forgot to cover earlier uh i just skipped through it on the script and uh, now need to go back to it uh the grand prix de france returns to the calendar this year and this week they've announced a title sponsor for that race Really, for Paul Ricard? Yes. If only it was someone. Oh, well, it can't be, can it? Because it can't be Ricard. At this point, is there not anything? You're not allowed to advertise um, drink in France. Yeah. And obviously, Ricard is the Ricard family, the maker of the um, aniseed. It um, was one. The Petitif. No, but not. They not say for Paul a long Ricard. Time. Yeah, but it still gives a subliminal advertising, doesn't it? I suppose so. With the Paul cert. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Tell me who. who who have they given the Z, the Z title sponsor? Well, the you'd Elf. expect That'd being be France, it would be a nice French brand like Elf. Yes. Obviously, you couldn't uh, have uh, it can't be Chitin, Chitin anymore. It can't no, be uh, or it could be uh, no, Renault or, or uh, someone like that. But no, it is Pirelli. 
Oh, Pirelli decided. Okay, the, the per- Formula One Pirelli Grand Prix de France 2018. They say anything yet about how, how many people can turn up and how many grandstands they're going to build and how the heck they're going to get there up and down on one road. I know you're going by helicopter, Tim, but that's normal people have to drive. Uh, they haven't uh, mentioned anything like that to me. Uh, I told you I'd, imag- anybody, I'd imagine it'll be uh, maybe 30 or 40 people allowed in. Oh, that's good. Well, they have got that one grandson that take three and a half thousand. Don't forget that. Yes. So maybe it's maybe three and a half thousand. Well, if they're all uh, getting VIP club hospitality as well, uh, then uh, that probably would pay for it. That's true. Everything's good. <laughs> uh, who else has announced a sponsor this week? Is it a team or a race? It's a race. Uh, well, okay. Well, I'm going to guess that it's going to be Germany because that's new as well this year. Or back this year. It's Singapore. Okay. Uh, Are they being sponsored by the person who pays for the light bills? Uh, pretty much. Uh, it will be the Singapore Airlines Singapore Grand Prix 2018. That's not a first, though, is it? It's not. They've been uh, the sponsor since 2014 and uh, had uh, already signed two contract extensions. Yes, this year, of course, last few years, the two closest Grand Prix, no one ever got this brilliant trivia, the two closest Grand Prix geographically were Singapore and Malaysia. Uh, um, because Malaysia's been dropped now, so I assume the two closest now geographically is it going to be Germany and, and Spa, or would it be Monaco and no, be Monaco and Rico, wouldn't it? Monaco, Monaco and, and Rico, the two closest. The walking distance. Yeah, they will be. Absolutely, it's a long walk, and most of it's uphill as well. Uh, yeah, Rico to Monaco is much better, but of course the wrong way around for the for the can. You can just walk downhill the whole time. <laughs> uh, and finally. Uh, from you, Nick Damon. <laughs> from uh, me, Nick Damon. We, because uh, we don't have, and I'm disappointed that this is a week where they've left me in charge and I could do my whole single seater takeover. No is, is Formula there no Two, Formula no... North, Renault, Renault. Is Ooh, no Formula could, Northern Europe. Okay, we could talk there. around the, talk about the Formula Renault Euro Cup, which had its uh, third and fourth <laughs> races of the season. Uh, Why? At, Sorry, everyone. At uh, Monza at the weekend and really? a, a debut win. Um, Four. A, uh, Chinese driver. Oh, okay. Uh, is he really Chinese? Or is he Dutch? Really Chinese. Uh, and I forget his name off the top of my hand. Um, off the top of my head, uh, but he got his uh, first win, but is still. Uh, trailing in the championship. Uh, maybe we'll do some well, more many rounds Renault ago. Euro sure, Cup many, later in the show. Many of them, I'm sure, Zolder and uh, everyone else. I'm in trouble now for, for mentioning that. <laughs> uh, oh, we've dear. had some tweets from Gersten Downhill Climb. Right. Uh, <laughs> who we mentioned earlier on, uh, who said, we wonder if Hindy has ever done a hill climb uh, to which sure Shay Adam replied, "Sure, he climbs a hill at Lime Rock every year because Marion's is at the top." <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm sure John's on hill climbing. I, I'm sure well, he told me he's about. He certainly commentated on it. I think he probably has done it. Uh, he's done a lot of rallying, stage rallying, and sometimes those stage rallies, those uh, sprinting and all that sort of stuff, often involves a hill climb part of it. Uh, I 
suspect that uh, he would be very interested in doing one at Gersten down this year. I think that's uh, fighting away. So uh, find a date when he's free and invite him along uh, because uh, you he, need a car. He would, he would love it. I'm sure someone will provide him with a car. Uh, something that's true. suitable. What would you choose to go up a hill in, Nick? I'll go up in the Alpha, the Quad. Alpha Julia yes. Quadifolio, that'd be fine, yeah. I mean, admittedly, I would prefer it not to be mine, given the propensity for an accident. Actually, I'd, happy, I'd be more than happy to go up in my um, my Triumph TR4A as well. Would you go off on a bike? So, no. <laughs> no. That's far too dangerous. Uh, okay. Uh, well, Nick Damon, thank you very much for joining us this week. Uh, will you Thank be back you on much. next week's Midweek Motorsport? I will. I will and have a Grand Prix to talk about where Mercedes may well win or they may well not win. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Nick Damon. Uh, so, Nick, as he says, back next week. We move on to sports car racing and uh, are joined by Graham Goodwin. who is not with us yet, but uh, tells me he is just seconds away. Uh, And now I have to redial him. Let's try once more with uh, Graham Goodwin. Good evening, Graham. Hello, fella. I'm terribly sorry about that. Struggling with two things open and one headset. Excellent. Uh, how has your week been? My week is, as always, terribly, terribly hectic. We're getting into all sorts of uh, logistical uh, models with the packed schedule that uh, comes from next week onwards with the WEC kicking off course in Spa. We've got uh, uh, all sorts of stuff after that. ELMS follows on rapidly from there. I think I've got probably about 24 hours back at home between the two because there's a lot of mileage, literally, lots of driving at this part of the season before we get to Le Mans. Uh, and uh, something that I should have mentioned earlier is obviously with the uh, FIA World Endurance Championship starting next weekend, and you could be able to hear that opening round uh, live here on uh, Radio Le Mans uh, on RS3, I believe that race will be, with uh, Johnny and Bruce Jones and Paul Truswell. Uh, there will be a FIA WC preview show next week as well, but I don't know what day yeah. that's on yet. So uh, uh, news on that to come. Uh, look out to the on the website uh, to find out when that will be. Uh, and lots of news to come, I think, in the in the next few days about uh, WEC as well. So watch out for for that across the uh, listeners' collective on Facebook and DSC will be across as much of that as we physically can. Uh, we're going to start with some sad sports car news, though, Graham, and uh, the death this week of Kenji Yamada uh, at uh, a very young age, fifty-four. Yeah, very young, uh, just a year younger than me, which is the, the slightly terrifying part of this one. Look, the community of sports car racing is a close one, um, but somehow the community around Super GT is closer still, and it's a global community, and uh, amazing to see the response to uh, the Lexus Team Le Mans chief engineer 
passing away suddenly uh, just last Sunday, age of 54. Uh, born in Gatemba, right in the shadow of Mount Fuji, and you know, right in the shadow of Fuji Speedway. So very sad news. Uh, that's news that went around the world in the days that followed. And, you know, a catalogue uh, of worldwide talent that's been through uh, Super GT and the, 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 the orbit that surrounds it, if you like, um, clearly recognising his contribution. And uh, another one, I'm afraid, Tim, to add to the role of honour for, it's looking like it's going to be quite a long one this year uh, before we go green at Le Mans. Uh, as well as working for Team Le Mans, he'd uh, spent 18 years uh, with Tom's, the uh, uh, effectively Toyota factory uh, uh, team in uh, Japanese single-seaters and sports cars. Uh, and uh, most recently, he'd been working with Felix Rosenquist. Yeah, lots. I mean, as as with a lot of these guys, you know, the, the, the list of names that will have been through his professional hands, if you like, is a long one. Kazuki Nakajima is part of that, beyond Vol- uh, 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 Wertheim, another one. And, you know, often forgotten, really, uh, the guys where they're getting literally getting their hands dirty, making it all happen and making the difference between cars that are otherwise very similar. It's, it is that, that, that little bit of genius just squeezes that last 10th or two out of any car. And, you know, that and done with character, done with a smile on the face, done with good humor. This is not a nine to five job. It's, it's something where you've got to have the passion as well as the ability and the drive and it's very clear that this man had that absolutely in spades tragic uh, on to happier news and uh, the entry list has been announced for this year's Nürburgring 24 hours uh, the qualifying race was uh, about 10 days ago and we had that live here on uh, RS1 uh, the whole of the Nürburgring 24 hours will also be live here on RS1. Uh, 150 on the entry list, uh, Graham. Quite a quite a small one in comparison to some years in the past, but uh, certainly not lacking in quality. No, it never is, is it? A crushingly disappointing 150, as I would normally say. Uh, nearly, nearly 30 of those SP9 GT3 cars, lots of other interests below that class in terms of teams that we all know from the experience experience that we've had with uh, the Radio Show Limited crew over more than a decade now at that uh, at that race, that we will be seeing some of those cars sniffing around the top 10 by the end of that 24 hours. Really gutted to say I won't be there this year. My first miss on this one uh, since 2007, when that first started. Indeed, it did, it did that weekend. But uh, unfortunately, this time it clashes with the LMS at Monza. And so I think Johnny's coming the way of the Nürburgring I'm going to be there uh, at Monza with uh, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say who I'm presenting that with yet because I think that's still something of a surprise a young but, racing uh, driver uh, it's if we a young mention his racing name driver. it might be a surprise to him so yes. we won't do no we won't no no it, it wouldn't be fair to Jensen but oh no no it wouldn't be fair to do that but um, it would it's going to be a cracker it is if you've not been I keep saying it for the love of God, go. Uh, someone is going to find out how much fun this is and stop us from doing it. Uh, but 150 cars, it will be at least two thirds of those cars will be of potential class winning quality. No doubt at all. 
there's a couple of there's u- the usual couple of comedy acts at the back will just have comedically poor uh, weeks but uh, there's even sometimes entertainment in that but ultimately it's going to be about the big names the big factories and who's going to come out on top is it going to be audi is it going to be the porsche uh, guys is it going to be mercedes mg is it going to be bmw might it be aston martin racing because this will be the final 24-hour race um, for the, ex- the the current Aston Martin V12 Vantage GT3 with Maxime Martin, a man who's had fantastic form at the Nürburgring 24 hours in the past, particularly when it's been wet. Marco Sorensen, uh, Nicky team, and the force of nature that is Darren Turner. Marath- London Marathon finishing Darren Turner, by the way. Uh, we did so, mention that earlier. It was a, absolutely top story. Uh, uh, but the, the, for me, that, that there's always been those stories, haven't there, Tim, where, since the, in the, the last decade or so, where there's always been someone coming in to challenge. This year, it's Aston Martin stepping up. There's a GT4 car as well in there, a game pack with factory talent. Uh, once again, Aston Martin, I think it could be one of the big stories around this race week. Um, looking forward to catching up where I can between uh, track action across in Italy. Hopefully, someone isn't going to nick my kit bag from the car. Uh, we do have, uh, for fans of that sort of thing, uh, entry number 120, uh, which will be the Opal Manta. Oh, yep. And uh, is Carlos Tavares in the race? Because Carlos Tavares did, did um, the first VLN race, didn't he, in an Opal Calibra? Uh, the the he, man at the top of the company. He is in the number 119 Opal Calibra with the Tobias wow. Young, Andreas Kunet and Herbert Schmidt. Schmidt. Could he be considering reintroducing... No, no. The man <laughs> no, no, or the Calibra. Reintroducing. Uh, both would be quite fun, wouldn't it? Would be quite fun. But there are lots and lots and lots of interest. And it's not just the big SP9 names, the big runners there. And there's a galaxy of stars, including Andre Lotter making his Nürburgring 24-hour debut yeah. uh, this year. So... Lots and lots and lots. And you know what? There's not going to be any shortage of entertainment for sports car racing fans on RSL that weekend, is there? Uh, Not at all. And I suspect that uh, there will be some people who dip out of N24 to listen to what's going on at Monza and some people who wait until the end of N24 uh, to then catch up with what has happened at Monza. Uh, It's not all German cars. You're going to have to be very quick with the podcasting, Tim. (laughs) No. It's not all German cars. I mean, we've mentioned all these Porsches and Mercedes and Audis and Opals. Uh, but Toyota Gazoo Racing Team Thailand are entering two uh, Toyota Corollas in SP3. Again? Yes. With the fantastically named... These are the guys that I always used to duck out of this and let John actually uh, talk about. It. He, he had these kind of pinned down. They, they are marvellous names for Scrabble. That's not in any way kind of racially stereotyping people it's it's just tight names are just for me almost impenetrable um it's it, it it's what a seven man uh, two car crew uh, all tie this is i think their third or fourth crack at this and they will go round and round and round reliably and reasonably slowly compared to the sp9 cars but i simply would not bet against both those cars getting to the end and uh, I also noticed that not, it's obviously because you have that prior engagement at uh, Monza that you are not uh, going to be entered yourself into uh, cars 201, 202 or 203. 
201, 202, and 203. This is the, the KTM Crossbows. That's yeah. right, because we no, know I how much you enjoyed dangerous. Uh, driving those. Vol- Volker Strychek is in one of those. Good grief. He is indeed, yes. And actually, uh, I think there's an all-lady crew in the 201 car with a couple of... So that uh, will be Volker's daughter, yes, Lena Strychek. And, and Laura uh, Kreihammer, which is Dom Kreihammer's sister. Yes, Naomi Schiff is the uh, fourth driver in that car and the one who I know nothing about. Uh, I think she... Didn't she do the Writer Young Stars thing a couple of seasons ago? I think she did. Uh, I think she did. Nürburgring 24 Hours takes place in uh, three weeks' time and you can hear it live here on RS1 uh, across that weekend, uh, our coverage will start on Thursday. Although I suspect we may will be doing midweek motorsport uh, on the Wednesday from uh, the Nurburgring as well. Uh, staying with sports cars, though, Graham, uh, and uh, we have to say happy birthday. What? Who to? Who? Who? To the Lamborghini Super Trofeo, which is ten years old this week. And what a fabulous party that they had, didn't they? At um, Monza. At, uh, Monza. They had, uh, there they was... had that uh, German superstar Vettel taking part. They did, and uh, who, who then uh, promptly crashed into a fence. Um, and then they had, I think it was 45 of the new Super Trofeo uh, Lamborghini Huracan Evos mm-hmm. started. Not quite that many finished. There were some engine management issues with the new cars, and a number of them stumbling to the finish including the car that was leading coming out of parabolic on the last lap uh so it was uh who won uh just a week or so a week or two ago in, in the elms for rlm sport and his one-off appearance in the championship with his young italian co-driver so a 17 year old and 19 year old winning by just under a hundredth of a second on the line for me though tim other than the fact the cars look awesome other than the fact that the cars were quicker than gt3 cars at monza um the only gt3 car that actually got under 148 all weekend came in qualifying and hilariously it was a lamborghini gallardo not even a hurricane but for me the defining part of the weekend was some frankly utterly disgraceful driving standards under yellow flags into turn one with a car being protected by double yellows and despite that three cars still managed to crash into each other and barely miss the accident site one would hope that whatever um how could we put this penalties that might come people's way come so swiftly and without mercy uh so that's uh lamborghini super trofeo uh in europe uh we have some lmp1 news uh it's just equivalent to technology. technology. Yes. Oh, I yes. so much the, the, wanted the, to say balance of, but it's equivalent. No, please don't. <laughs> um, I think the, the answer here is all will become clear. Okay, all will become clear as to whether or not what we've got here. So equivalent to technology is how you balance the difference between the technologies of a either different hybrid systems. We've not got that luxury this year because we've just got the one uh, package with Toyota. But how you balance that with a non-hybrid car and it's all to do with fuel flow and the amount of fuel and weight etc etc so it is balanced performance by any other name if you like but uh, we've been given the values that will apply for spa and for spa only uh, for the uh, the eight car non-hybrid pack the 
two Toyotas. They're very different values. So the uh, the, less, the amount of fuel that the Toyotas are allowed far less. Uh, the uh, non-hybrid cars are lighter. Uh, they have a lot more fuel. But then the good news for the non-hybrid cars starts to dry up pretty quickly because to get the amount of fuel in that they need, uh, it takes longer in the pit stops. It looks as if built in on most of the regulations is a one to two lap advantage on a tank of fuel against the efficiency that the cars have got to the Toyotas. Those pit stops will take a little longer for the uh, for the non-hybrid cars, probably around five seconds longer. And I think what we're going to find after Spa is whether or not we're all going to be going that sort of works or we'll start what could be a season long epic moan fest uh, about that doesn't work and that doesn't work and that doesn't work. It comes down to two things. Have people got the sums right? And has the politics played too big a part here? Toyota have repeatedly argued that they are putting in the uh, the technology uh, investment. They've done so repeatedly. What nobody wants to see is Toyota winning by lap after lap after lap after lap. Toyota know they've got to run perfectly. If they run perfectly and at pace throughout, I don't think there's anything that any of those cars will be able to do about it. If, however, they stumble, then and they the, do have form the game is going to be they? about how much they do have a bit of form for stumbling, oddly enough. Um, but if they do stumble, who is going to be close enough to kind of pick up that second and whisper it, potential win? Um, who's going to do that? And the, the key to this is that the calculations that have been done in advance of Spa have been done on the basis of what we saw at the uh, the prologue test. Now that's when my cynicism starts to spike a little because what we saw from Toyota at the prologue test uh, was them running out of uh, EOT uh, from the first part of it with with approval. That's fine, not cheating, no. Uh, but then, to be blunt, nowhere close to what they were actually capable of thereafter. Uh, they have not seen any change whatsoever to the predetermined values for EOT before the start. So we've got some baseline values that are applied. We have seen some changes for all of the turbocharged and non-turbocharged uh, LMP1 cars. We can look in two different ways. You, you, you take your money, you take your choice. Or you make your choice, rather. You can look at it that it's a kind of bit of a finger in the wind because it's never happened like this before. Let's see where we are before we get to Le Mans and make some sensible decisions. Or we can see that there's been some pretty epic moaning from Toyota saying that we really think there's a bit more of a risk than we thought there was, and maybe you can give us a bit more of a percentage edge. I think that's a debate we can probably more constructively have the day after that race than the day before. Midweek Motorsport, where we're only halfway... And coming up in the second hour of tonight's show, we'll have more from Graham Goodwin as we uh, have some more sports car news to cover. Uh, we'll also have some sports car news with Shay Adam, who'll be talking about uh, some IMSA racing that took place at the weekend, as well as some other North American news. Uh, Jeremy Shaw will be talking about the IndyCar, Indy Lights and other uh, Mazda Road to Indy news. Uh, and we'll be joined by our special guest, Aaron Tielitz. Uh, IndyCar light driver uh, for uh, a period during this second hour of the show. Also still to come, we have a pointless press release of the week uh, and more of your tweets. So uh, tweet away to at Specutainment. 
as we go into the second hour of tonight's Midweek Motorsport here on RS1. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Uh, Porsche have been out testing at uh, Monza this week, haven't they, Graham, with both the GT4 car and a GT3 car? Uh, well, it'd been, it'd been rather more than that, Tim. Uh, it sort of feels like one of those dinner parties where you throw the keys into a bowl, I'm told they happen, and uh, you pick up the one and you go and take the car. So, so there's a galaxy of uh, Porsche cars at Monza in the last couple of days, including a current GTE factory car, including what looks to me to be potentially a development of the current Cup car. But most, uh, most of most interest to most, I think, is what looks like... Uh, a pretty major evolution to the current GT3R, GT3 car, due for uh, racing customer hands next year. Uh, and we always we know, don't we, that uh, Porsche, amongst uh, many manufacturers, will doubtless have that car running. And I've no doubt that will be in the VLN. But uh, major changes to the aero package on that car. In particular interest, a lot more cooling in the rear of that car. And our trackside observer albeit um, without a great deal of reference point, did say he did wonder whether or not that car might be turbocharged from its engine notes. Uh, not convinced that that's right, but it could be quite interesting. Uh, major change in the front and rear, and also a little Cayman with a different rear wing on the on the back. Uh, and again, we know that in the, the battle in GT4 for factory-led customer program supremacy in the, in the sales battle, uh, that it looks at the moment as if the little Cayman... GT4 MR is a bit outgunned, and might this be the 2019 factory offering for GT4? So, uh, if you're lucky enough to be trackside or around Monza, um, then there's a whole lot of new there right now. Uh, some time ago on this show, we reported the retirement of uh, a Porsche, long-time Porsche driver, Johnny Molum. And he's been enjoying his retirement again over the weekend just gone. How did he do that, Graham? Uh, is this going to be part of a weekly um, Johnny Mullins not retired section? Section. I think it possibly should. Not, not at all. He got very. He is absolutely retired. He's not doing any competitive motorsport. He said that quite clearly. Not at all. None at all. So his so his performance in the LMP3 Cup at the weekend must have come as a huge surprise to him and everybody else. Then maybe he wasn't competitive, Graham. Maybe that was it. I think the guy behind him that, uh, that eventually won the race thought he was pretty competitive. <laughs> yes. uh, but no, it was uh, the opening round of the, L- the LMP3 Cup, uh, the UK's uh, ACO-sanctioned LMP3 Championship. Not the biggest of grids, but pretty competitive and led to a 1-2-3 for Nielsen Motorsports. Uh, Christian Olsen, young Danish driver who's debuting in the EWS this season, took a solo win at the end of the first race with Colin Noble and Tony Wells finishing second. And yes, J-Mo and Bonamy Grimes, uh, his customer with his Red River Sports consultancy, taking a fine third position in race one. So yeah, rumours of Johnny's retirement, is going to hate me for this, rumours of his retirement, I'm afraid, still pretty premature. And that brings to, I'm just checking my records here, 400 and... 432 races since he retired now. Uh, and on the podium in every single one of them. Uh, yes. 
Let me consult my script. Where are we going now? Oh, yes, we've got to play a jingle next. Here we go. Ooh. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. Now, I'm not sure whether this is a pointless press release or whether it's uh, uh, pointless on a grander scale. A new concept in motor racing has been launched with a series created exclusively for older drivers. <laughs> yes. Series yes. Elite is a new one-make racing series with a lower age restriction of 50 years, affording the more mature drivers an opportunity to compete on a level playing field. The sports car selected for the championship is the new Jaguar F-Type SVR in GT4 specification. Because there really are not enough championships where uh, drivers over the age of 50 can race GT4s. Is there? No, old fat blokes are massively undercated, I'm afraid, in motorsport. I've, I'll be honest with you. We, I've stood here, or indeed sometimes sat here, and listened to debate after debate after debate on midweek motorsport about all sorts of gender inequality in motorsport. Finally, my voice as an old fat bloke has been heard and someone has created a series just for me. Just for me. And Is I'm probably going to be the only you, one. though? Because paragraph well, two says, Series Elite yeah. will target high net worth individuals. Oh, I'm buggered then. Uh, appealing to both amateurs and more experienced racers, drivers will be provided with all the relevant training, testing and race experience needed to compete in the new series with their cars stored and prepared to centralised team facility. Well, you won't have to take the sh- car home with you. That's good. Well, what, can I just say there is one good thing about this um, yes. in amongst a sea of what I know is going to be cynicism, um, which is that Jaguar are building more of those GT4s. Because yes. that car, remember, was initially a bespoke order um, for the British GT, the Invictus Racing uh, teams. James Holder, the co-founder of the Superdry brand, building those two cars, designed and built at Jaguar. Uh, so this is the first time we've heard of additional versions of that car being, number one, made available, and two, being sold. I know they're, they're talking, aren't they, this series about the potential for 20 sales good luck guys uh with that i don't think you're going to get remotely close to that kind of number but the good news and it is good news is that that car is going to be offered for sale on a wider basis than just for the two invictus racing cars uh and believe you me i, I don't know if you've seen the thing in its uh, in all its glory tim uh, uh, I, have, I have was yes. a media day yeah it is a fantastic looking race car and it sounds dirty i've not heard it i've not seen it with the engine running it's Um, it's fantastic but it's it is a very good looking car um and as you say invictus have been running it in the british gt championship which continues this weekend at rockingham if you're stuck uh no yes this weekend at Rockingham, if you're stuck for something to do this This, weekend yep um and uh hopefully we will see 20 of them in uh series elite uh, well, I, you know what? Good luck to them. Um, but no, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to work, is it? Yeah, I just, what, what, what would be incredibly depressing is if we got to the stage where there were kind of three or four. Um, that would be incredibly depressing because, look, guys go and do a deal with British GT and have your own class in British GT or in GT Cop or in Brickard. Go and do that because it doesn't need this. Um, 
yes, we've got things like the McLaren Pure events and we've got Corsa Cliente, we've got all that kind of stuff. I can see what you're trying to do. I just can't see it. I can't see it. Uh, First race weekend is on October the 27th and 28th, so we're not just looking for rich uh, elderly people. We're looking for rich elderly people who don't feel the cold because it'll be at Brown's hat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, tartan rugs and sucky sweets supplied, apparently. Where, Where is the first race? Brown's hatch. Oh, it's lovely that time of year in October. It is. I mean, that's the the week before the uh, fireworks and truck festival. So, uh, um, yeah, tragically, I'll be in Portimao that, that that weekend, so I won't be able to see it. Lucky you. Uh, it will be uh, almost certainly have as its support races the uh, Renault Clio Winter Series and uh, Ginetta Winter Series, probably. Yeah. Uh, I think there might be, you know what, why don't they just do it as a kind of staircase of talent that maybe in season two or season three to use uh, Formula E parlance, maybe we could develop, you know, for older still drivers working up to the Mobility Scooter Grand Prix. That would be fantastic. Uh, Graham Goodwin, thank you very much for joining us this week. Uh, Will you also be back on next week's show? Um, It depends exactly where I'm going to be. I should buy... Wednesday evening, be firmly ensconced in um, in Spa, uh, ahead of the uh, WC race that weekend, hoping that uh, we get an opportunity uh, at some point on that Wednesday to have a chat with one Mr. Fernando Alonso. Very good in for now. Uh, good night. Cheers, guys. Now, moving across to uh, North America, and I'm very happy to say that I'm joined by Jeremy Shaw for this part of the show. Good evening, Jeremy. Good evening. Not as happy as I am to be with you, to be perfectly honest, Tim. Yes. Great to be back. Thank you. The uh, double happiness, not just at being on the show, but also <laughs> at uh, promotion for your football team last night, Blackburn Rovers. Brilliant news. Yes, yes. Being in League One wasn't uh, wasn't wasn't part of the plan initially. So uh, yeah, thrilled to bits. Automatic promotion. Brilliant news. But I'm sure, as Hindy would say, there's nothing wrong with being in League One. Um, no, and unfortunately, um, yeah, he's going to be sampling this next season, isn't he? So that's a bit of a shame. Unfortunately, once again, then our teams won't be playing against each other. So I suppose that's probably good news. <laughs> but I guess he'll, he'll have to he'll have to cope now with Johnny Palmer, won't he? So yeah. they were too bad at each other's throats, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, Blackpool and uh, Sunderland will definitely be playing next season. I think so. On to IndyCar, though. You were at Barber Motorsport Park at the weekend. One of my favourite North American circuits. Brilliant track. I mean, just a tremendous facility. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Funny thing is, first time I went there, wasn't that long ago, actually, probably six, seven years ago, uh, for a, a Mazda Road to Indy Winter Series race and arrived at the track it was freezing cold it was miserable everything was brown i thought what's the big deal about this place and um it looked horrible and anyway i went back there a couple of months later for the for the first time for a race weekend and all of a sudden everything's green and the place looks absolutely fantastic it's a beautiful facility the museum there is sensational yeah Racetrack itself, though, Tim, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a great track to drive on, but it's not really a particularly good racetrack because there's, there's really only one 
sort of proper overtaking place. That's down downhill into turn five. The rest of it, it's awfully difficult when cars are even vaguely closely matched to make any passing manoeuvres. You have to get a bit creative, which of course is good. Um, but uh, so it's not perhaps the best of racetracks, but it is a wonderful place to go. And it's a great place to watch the Indy cars because the, the, the new cars, the, the cars for this season, I think look absolutely fantastic. And around that track, they look sensational. And it was super to see a big crowd there over the weekend. I heard someone over the weekend uh, say that uh, Barber is very much like Alton Park. Uh, and I can see exactly what they mean uh, from that. Yeah, there are some similarities, certainly, in places, you know, it's, it's a super place, it's, there's lots of elevation change, um, but actually I think there are more overtaking places at Alton Park than there are at, uh, at Barber, but um, no, it's, it, yeah, it was designed primarily for motorcycles, probably, but it's still a, a great place to go, and it's, it's super to see the enthusiasm that the Verizon IndyCar Series draws for that event. The museum definitely uh, suggests a lot of motorcycle interest from the owners. Uh, but let's move on to... Yeah, but I tell you what, some good cars. There's some great cars in there as well, which is really cool. Yes. Uh, there's a Super John Surtees exhibit there, which has cars and bikes, and there's all sorts of lotuses zizz, 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 and things there. It's nice just a fabulous place to go. as you say. Super, uh, yeah. And the circuit itself has brought the IndyCar drivers uh, two things that they won't have uh, seen for a while, and some of them may not have seen ever. Uh, grass and gravel. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and for quite a few of them, uh, rain as well, because uh, quite a few of them hadn't driven an Indy car in the rain before, and certainly not the latest breed of cars. Uh, certainly on the first couple of days, there were quite a few drivers that were that were struggling to get to grips with the cars. And I had a chat with uh, Simon Pagano. I actually met him on, on the, we were on the same flight into Birmingham on the... Um, on whatever, whatever day that was, Wednesday, whatever it was, and he, he was on his way from, from California as well, and chatting to him, and, you know, he just loves driving these new cars, absolutely loves them, but he said, but they do take a lot of getting used to them. I mean, we heard that on the first couple of races of the season, um, but uh, by and large, the drivers love the car, these, these cars, and, and they are fabulous to watch at Barber. Uh, as you mentioned, no one's really done any wet weather testing in this year's chassis. Um did anyone have any problems uh, adjusting and finding a wet setup? No, not really. I mean, funnily enough, quite a few of the teams did, went for a test uh, a few weeks ago, and actual fact, most of them decided not to run because it was raining, which uh, which backfired on them a little bit. Uh, the good news is that Penske did run in the rain because Elio Castroneves was having a, an outing in the car just just for the heck of it and he, he was just loving relishing driving an car again so he he was out as much as he could on the track during that weather, weather session and certainly Penske was probably best prepared of everybody going to the weekend the race had to be split into two parts though uh too wet to continue uh after around half the race had been run on sunday so they carried on on monday uh what was the reaction like uh to people to that decision to delay the culmination of the race until the next day yeah everybody was d- disappointed in the in the postponement uh, the, the, ironically the weather all the way up uh, up in the week until sunday was absolutely glorious it was sunny it was warm not too hot not too cold just perfect conditions for for racing but unfortunately everything ch- turned on saturday night and you've know, been talking all the way through the week that you know it's going to be dire on 
Sunday. We're not going to get anything at all. It's going to be a complete washout, uh, and they're going to have to come back on Monday. Well, it wasn't quite as bad as that because they got the uh, the Mazda Road to India races in, and and the Porsche IMSA Porsche GT3 Cup races as well. They also got in on Sunday morning, and they brought forward the start of the indicators a little bit um, to try and get get it in because the forecast wasn't as as dire as it had been earlier in the weekend. But with the TV schedules the way they were, they decided that you know they couldn't they couldn't bring it f- forward any any more than they actually did, which is a real shame because if they had uh, started an hour or so earlier, which they could have done with the schedule, because they they brought forward the other races or the Indy Lights race in particular so they make sure they got that in uh, if they'd done that the same with Indy cars they probably got, would have got a whole race in it would have been sort of dry well no it was rainy by then in any case but uh, it, it would have been I think they could have probably got the race in or most of it but so there was disappointment certainly from the drivers and of course the fans that were there that it had to be postponed but by the same time you know they wanted at least to give the fans and everybody that was there a proper race so they were able to do that on uh, you know, yesterday when they went back again, and it turned out to be a you know, pretty ex- well, not not exactly exciting at the front perhaps, but an interesting race because there were kind of different strategies that, that were playing out during a race, and, and it turned out to be you know, pretty exciting. And of course, it rained again in the final 10 to 15 minutes, so you know, that turned didn't turn everything on its head, but it certainly did for a few drivers. What was interesting was you know, Joseph Newgarden. He had everybody covered last week. I mean, he loves that track. He scored his first IndyCar win there a few years ago. Uh, won it again last year, I think, as well. And, you know, he, he's the man at Barber Motorsports Park. So wet or dry, he was going to be hard to beat. And in the end, really, nobody got close to him. For Sebastian Bourdais, you know, he had a, a brilliant run going in the race. Great strategy, once again, by uh, Craig Hampson and Dale Coyne and, and the guys at, at uh, that Fast Sullivan Coyne team. And if it had stayed dry, he was looking really, really good. Mm. They, they gambled on, um, on and the same actually for, again, for, for a few others. They? Yeah, they did, and, and so did a few, a few other people. A few, a few people further back. Spencer Piggott was another one, really, who, who was looking really good for a top five or six finish, which boy that kid deserves. Um, but he was one of the ones to to stay out there on wets at the end to try and stay out as long as he could. And he ended up being and, and ended up losing a lap, so he finished his kind of usual fifteenth or sixteenth, which is not where. He deserves to be. He's he's had some fantastic drives with Spencer Piggott this year, um, and and last year too, without the results yet to show it. But um, you know, he 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 and Jordan King, teammates now at uh, at Ed Carpenter Racing, and both of those two ran well during the race and ended up not where they deserve to be. Same with Bourdais, who ended up fifth place. But the rest of it, you know, some really good performances there. Robert Wickens drove another great race, finished in the top five. Um, Scott Dixon had a you know, pretty good run that was, you know, that that uh, perhaps could have been better than it was. And, and the same could be said for quite a few of the drivers. Marco Andretti not happy uh, with the decision uh, to allow everyone to refuel before the resumption on Monday, though. True, um, and but again, you know, he he kind of threw it away on 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 Sunday, you know, with it with his spin uh, by his own you know, re- recognition. I mean, you know, he he didn't blame anybody else. He just he just lost it and spun and and took himself out of a good position. So that put him back in the pack. So then they kind of gambled on going on that alternate strategy, uh, which which ended up not playing out, playing out in the favour. But it would have been a, a cruel sort of irony if it had played out to to his benefit. Uh, given that he you know, had, that he'd had that spin on Sunday, but it was still a good run by Marco, and even though the result there, he, he ended up only in tenth place. But it would have, could have, should have been a lot better, and that's the same for, for quite a 
few of the drivers. And you know, his his time will come. He's got he's he he seems more relaxed somehow this year. Does Marco and a, a lot of people don't have a lot of time for him. I actually do. I quite like the kid. He, uh, um, he's always he's always very respectful. I don't know particularly well, but he's always respectful to me whenever I see him in the paddock. And he can drive, and and he really can drive. And one of these days, I hope for his sake uh, that that um, you know he's able to show what what he really can do. Like I say, one what a mistake on Sunday, but um, it could have been so much better for Marco. So uh, Joseph Newgarten leads championship by 13 points from Alex Rossi. Uh, and Sebastian Bourdais, Graham Rahal and James Hinchcliffe very close to each other, just a point separating the three of them in third, fourth and fifth in the points at the moment. Yeah, that's right. And Ryan Hunter-Ray is very close behind him as well. And you know, Ryan had another second place finish uh, this weekend. He drove a really good race for the Andretti team. You know, the, the Andretti team, it's interesting, isn't it? Because all of their cars have been fast in all of the races this season at one 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 stage or another. Uh, Rio Rossi had um, had some difficulties during the race. Not actually quite sure how he slipped back, to be perfectly honest. I, I, I was on a plane when the when the restarted race happened yesterday, so I missed most of that. Uh, but, um, you know, all of those Andretti cars are, uh, are strong. And, and I think, you know, with, with you know, Bourdais at the coin team, Penske obviously is always going to be strong, particularly Joseph, who's really riding the crest of a wave now, now, right now. And and the and Schmidt Peterson cars, you know, both running very strongly at all the races. So it really is a wide open season. It's great to see how intense the competition level is. Next, they move on to Indianapolis. To do, don't they? That's right. Uh, for the Grand Prix, first of all, on the road course. Uh, that's always a race that uh, that is interesting. It's all the whole round. Mazda Road to Indy will be there, so all three levels of that, plus the Indy cars as well. So it's a great open-wheel weekend. And you know, that the road course in Indianapolis these days, the Grand Prix circuit, as they call it, is a good one. Uh, again, there's, there's a, a, at least two or three really good overtaking opportunities there, and it promotes close racing. Uh, and it's, a, it's a, certainly a good event to go, go, go see if you get an opportunity. Uh, you mentioned the Mazda Road to Indy there. Let's take a look at what happened to them uh at Barber, so Pro Mazda, uh, what happened in that race or those two races? Yeah, there were two races. Good, good races. Uh, again, it, it is difficult to pass there. So the um, the um, you know, the racing at the front of you wasn't quite as intense, but it was a very very competitive field. We saw different drivers up there. Parker Tonk was was the man uh, in in the first in the first race. Very impressive win for the exclusive autosport team, which is stepping up to Pro Mazda this season. And then in race two, which is which is in the damp, uh, Harrison Scott really came into his own. A young, young Englishman who's uh, who's clearly shown his talent over the last several years in Europe. Mm-hmm. He's moved across to North America here for the first time, along with a team with which he won that Euro Formula Open Championship. Well, dominated. I think he had 14 wins out of 16 races last year for that RP Motorsport racing team. And they've come over this season and they had the first win in the damp on Sunday. So it was a great drive by uh, by uh, by Harrison. Parker finished second again. Um, Parker Thompson stepping up after being a front runner in, in the USF 2000 Championship for the mm-hmm. last two or three years, uh, and uh, he's now taken over the lead of the championship, just by a few points from Renus VK, uh, the the Dutchman or Renus van Kampfelt, which is better known in Europe yeah. and the rest he, of the world. He was the winner at St. Pete's, wasn't he? Yeah, he won both races in St. Pete. Yeah, came from from I think eighth on the grid to win the first round, and then was in control of the second one. So yeah, he came in as the championship leader. And finally, uh, Indy Lights. 
Uh, hey, that that was all Patricio Award. Uh, he, he he smoked every. Yeah, he was. I mean, he should have won uh, four out of four races this season, and if not for a mistake. In one of the races in St. Petersburg, he would be uh, way out in front in the championship. So, thankfully, he gave everybody else a bit of a chance there by making a mistake um, later on, in, halfway through the second race, I suppose. Went down the escape road. Luckily, he, he, smartly, he decided to take the escape route rather than um, rather than trying to make the corner and then crashing. So, he, he got going again, finished further back down the field. But he was magnificent uh, on, on, uh, on the, at the weekend and you know, wet or dry. He was he was very much the man to beat. He just smoked everybody. In Sunday's race, which was in the wet, he was basically well. Victor Franzoni, to be fair, who was last year's Pro Mazda champion yeah. from Brazil, driving for the uh, Junkers racing Junkers racing team that won the championship last year with Karl Kaiser. Victor kept it kept him in his sights on Sunday, but everybody else was. Uh, basically two seconds a lap slower. It was a pretty remarkable effort by uh, Patricio Award, in, in, particularly in the wet. We, he's, a, he's a star, that boy. We got to um, the point uh, towards the end of that race where it, he was almost about to lap um, Alfonso Cadiz Jr., who was uh, in eighth. True. I, I mean, and, and, and not far ahead of him, only 10 seconds or so ahead of him, was a, was a train from fourth on back. Yes. Uh, Aaron Tielitz had got past Santiago Routier and then was Aaron just wanted to finish the race. He had a dismal season so far, so uh, he was just you know, content to finish in fourth place, I think. But Santi Routier, who's you know, finished second in the championship the last two seasons, he was nowhere uh, and fell right back. And he just held off Dalton Keller and Ryan Norman. And Alfonso Julius was right with them as well. So, uh, yeah, he could have, he, in another five or ten laps, he could have lapped everybody up to third place. Well, Jeremy, you mentioned Aaron Tillitz there, and I'm pleased to say that he joins us now. Good evening. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Now, before the season started, uh, and I'm sure Jeremy would have agreed with me at the time, uh, I would have said you were the favourite to win the title. But four races in, you haven't had the best of luck this season, have you? No. Are you are you guys saying that I'm not your championship favorite anymore? I'm saying I have an open mind now. Not me. Not me. <laughs> yeah, I, obviously things didn't uh, get off to exactly the start we would have wanted at, at St. Pete. We had all kinds of pace, qualified on pole for race one, new track record, and then qualifying two, we were on pace for another pole position, the lap I was on, and a new track record again, and uh, ended up into the outside of the turn three wall, uh, unfortunately, completely totaling my race car. So that put you out of race one completely because uh, you weren't able to uh, take the stars in that one. Is that right? Yeah, it put me out of race one completely. I mean, my car had two holes in the tub. It had a cracked engine, a broken gearbox. So basically every main component of the car was, was broken. But you managed to track down a replacement tub, which was uh, shipped to you overnight. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was actually a, a multiple team effort. Um, we talked to Colin at uh, Carlin, and they said they had a chassis that was ready to rock and roll at their shop down in Delray Beach, Florida. And then uh, we didn't have a way to go get the car, so we talked to Arms Up, who has an extra trailer at the racetrack, and they let us borrow their uh their van and trailer for free and so john bruner my team manager rolled down there picked up the car and brought it back and the guys got it at the trailer or back at the racetrack around midnight 
and then they uh, worked through the night to build it for you uh, for race two. Uh, and where were you starting for race two? So for race two, even though I got my fastest lap taken away, my second fastest lap was still good enough for third position. Uh, so still, still a solid starting spot for for race two. Uh, but that race didn't go very well either. No, didn't go too well. I had a I had an okay start, um, held third position. Victor Franzoni was side by side with me through turn one, and then through turn two, um, Victor got an unfortunate bounce off of the curb. I don't really blame Victor. That curb caught tons of people out before, and really just just a racing incident. He bounced off the curb and into me, and sent me flying into the wall, which. Uh, ruined my entire weekend basically then so um two for oh for two uh and two quite expensive accidents and no points to show for it at all yeah yeah i mean that was that was what was frustrating was was being so fast and then having exactly zero results you know and in my mind and i think anybody else who was there at the track i had uh the car to beat and was the fastest driver of the weekend and i didn't complete one race lap I'm going to jump in here, Tim, because two things. First of all, luckily for Aaron, at least he did get some championship points. They changed the rules a couple of years ago. So if you don't start, but you have qualified, you get half points for for where you would have finished. So if you, if you finished in, let's say, 12th place, there are only 11 cars, whatever it was in the field, you get 12th place points or half of 12 points. So it could have been been worse. Um, And then, of course, the other ironic thing is, unfortunately, Aaron was allowed to start where where he'd qualified in the other car. Most series, if you you go to a switch to a backup car, you'd start at the back of the pack, in which case, ironically, he might have kind of got away with that one. So, you know, it was just, he was ridiculously unlucky all weekend long. Had you had you had a chance but to drive that? It, uh, sorry, Jeremy. Had, Aaron, no. had you had a chance to drive that car other than on your way to the grid for race two? Uh, they did give me a hardship lap, so I went out really, really early in the morning. The sun wasn't even fully up, and I, I did one lap of the racetrack. None of the setup was on the car; it was just the car put together. I remember holding the steering wheel way off to the right just to make sure that the car was going to run, basically, is all we were doing. So I did a slow lap. Um, but, yeah, my, my first time that I was going to be driving the car at any speed was going to be turn one in the race. Then quite a big gap because Indy Lights doesn't go to Long Beach. Uh, but back in action at Barber uh, on the weekend just gone. Uh, and how did that go? Well, uh, it started off, uh, again, pretty well. Um, we had a, a good car straight off the off the trailer, made some good changes, and then qualifying. Um, again, we didn't get to quite show our pace in qualifying. I had a car that was for sure good enough to be on the front row, maybe pole, obviously if things went my way. But as things have been going this year, they didn't quite go my way. On my fastest lap in qualifying one, I caught a slower car uh, in turns 12 and 13, which happens to be right before the timing line. So I lost that lap. And then I also wasn't able to start um, another lap because the timing line was right there. So I uh, lost two uh, of my quickest laps in, in qualifying and ended up having to start fourth for race one. And uh, how did race one go? Uh, I had a, a, a decent start, um, went into turn one, and Dalton Kellett, who I didn't, I didn't realize had such a huge run, uh, threw it up the inside in turn one and... Um, 
you know, ran me off of the racetrack a little bit. I got back on the racetrack, going around turns two and three. Dalton spins out, smack dab in front of me. Um, and then, for whatever reason, he decides to slam on the gas and make a cloud of smoke. And so I couldn't see which way his car was going or spinning and ended up uh, driving right into it. So three races into the season and you've not actually completed a full racing lap yet, uh, which I suppose... No, is... I'd completed three corners, I think. Uh, it's obviously saved you a huge amount of money on fuel, but apart from that, <laughs> apart from that, not a great start to the season. So the race uh, on Sunday afternoon, uh, which was, uh, I believe, brought forward, was it, uh, slightly uh, to avoid the rain... Um, you actually yep. did manage to get to the end of that one. I did. I did manage to get to the end of that one. I was I was actually pretty pleased about that. I again got a qualify or a penalty in qualifying for uh, impeding another driver's progress, apparently, um, which I wasn't very happy about. So that relegated me from second or third starting position, which I would have had to fifth. So again, the the bad luck continued, um, but. The race went much better. Uh, it was it was damp conditions, not full wet, um, and I was able to to make up um, a couple spots or well one spot, go from fifth to fourth by the finish, and I was I was quite pleased to to escape at least with with one finished race. After the start of the season you had, were you more cautious going into that race? Um, no, I, I mean honestly, I I I don't really ever get cautious about about anything. Um, in racing, nothing, nothing would really make me be more timid. Uh, I feel like when you are more timid, bad things actually tend to happen to you more often in racing than if you're than if you're aggressive and going for it. Uh, you can kind of control your own destiny better that way than letting other people dictate how that goes for you. So uh, I was on it straight away uh, in race two. Made a good pass on Dalton down in turn five, and then tried to work on Colton, uh, and he happened to have a better car than than us that day, and. Managed to get around my teammate Santi too later in the race, and then just kind of had a lonely drive and forth. And as Jeremy and I were discussing earlier, it, it was um, at the front half of the field, uh, very spread out, and then behind you, uh, four cars which were really close together. That puts you seventh in the championship uh, with 51 points, uh, not far behind Dalton. Uh, so, you, and in fact, not that far behind Ryan Norman as well, uh, but quite a gap behind our championship leader, Pato Ward. To be fair, I, I kind of know what it's like to be way behind Pato Ward. The same thing uh, happened to me in, in 2016 when I was racing in Pro Mazda with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember what the gap was he got out to, but it was something, it was over 50 point lead um, midway through the year. So even further into the year, he had a, he had a massive points lead on me and I managed to close that down and win by I think 20 points or something at the end yeah. of the year so I know the points gap is big and I know the start of the season hasn't been going the way that I would have liked it to but I'm still confident that um, I'm going to be winning races really soon and all the Blardy Auto Racing guys still have faith in me um, so we're going to be we're going to be back to the front in no time. You definitely sound like you've got uh it hasn't affected your confidence in any way and uh, as you say uh, two years ago you were teammates with Pato and uh, you managed to uh, overtake his early championship lead there and uh, go on to win that uh, title uh, this is your fifth year in on the Mazda Road to Indy program isn't it yes it is so how did how did you 
if we go back to uh, USF 2000, how did you uh, get into that? I, I got in, onto the Mazda Road to Indy simply by winning uh, a Mazda scholarship. I, I really do believe that if I wouldn't have won um, a Mazda scholarship to get into USF 2000, there was more or less zero chance of me ever making it into the Mazda Road to Indy. So that's how I did it. In 2013, I won the uh, then it was called the Skip Barber Championship Shootout, uh, which gave me the $200,000 Mazda scholarship to move into USF 2000. Uh, and from there up into uh, the Pro Mazda Championship, which you won in your second season? Uh, I won the Pro Mazda Championship on my first try first my rookie season, year sorry. in 2016. And that presumably gave you the opportunity to move up into Indy Lights. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, the 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 budget gap from Pro Mazda to Indy Lights right now is uh, quite substantial, uh, especially then with the old car, which was cheaper to run. So uh, again, the only way I was going to make it to Indy Lights was with the help of a scholarship. Uh, so that worked out for me again, and I've got Mazda to thank for that. So I mean, you are one of those uh, examples that people use of how good this uh, master program has been for young drivers yeah definitely um you know if you if you look around the world even at any other um racing championships it's it's really hard to find championships that do what the maserot indy does where it's it's promoting um their champion to the next level i mean over in europe i don't know exactly how it works but i know you know you win the f2 championship i think you get like a test in a Formula One car, or if you win the the F3 championship, you you know get a test in an F2 car. So there's no there's no for sure seat or ride that you're going to get by by being a champion. It's going to come down to being on a you know a Red Bull Junior program or McLaren Junior program or something to work your way up uh, through the ranks. There's no way for just you know more or less regular kids to make it. I tell you what, uh, Tim, what to, just to add to that, I mean. Aaron is one of the one of the great examples of what the Mass Road Indy can do, and there's, there's countless others. And now it's good to see some more Europeans following in that stead as well. We've got quite a few South Americans. We've seen Alfonso Chiles from uh, from Mexico, who's been racing in Europe for several years. Harrison Scott, who of course won one of the Pro Master races. But I've got to I've got to give Aaron a pat on the back too, because th- there's no one that works harder to find the sponsorships in Aaron. I mean, the scholarships are fantastic, but they don't pay the full way. And it's still, you know, a pretty fair amount of money that's got to be found, particularly when you go into your second year in, in, in one of the series. And, you know, I always think that drivers should look at every step they take on the ladder in whatever, wherever they're trying to get to, be it Edie Cars, Formula One, or Le Mans, whatever. You should always do two years at every level. The first year is to learn. The second year is to win. If you can do it better than that, fine. But if you've done two years, you're still much better prepared when you get to the next step on the ladder. I mean, you know, Lewis Hamilton's a model. He did two years in F3, two years before that in Formula Renault. I think he won GP2 in his first year. But he did, yeah. yeah. He's the model there. Spencer Piggott, the same in... In uh, in the Mazda Road to Indy, did two years in Pro Mazda, two years uh, two years in F2000, two years in Pro Mazda, won that championship, won Indy Lights championship first year, and is now in the Indy cars. But like I said, uh, uh, Aaron has worked so hard to, uh, to 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 make it where he is, and hats off to you, Aaron, for doing that. Uh, this, this is your second season in Indy Lights, isn't it, Aaron? So 
is the idea looking yep. now for 2019 at moving up to IndyCar, and how how difficult is it to do that? Uh, yeah, the the idea is obviously to to move into a, an IndyCar spot, and um, you know the easiest way to do that is is obviously win the Indy Lights Championship, and you get you know guaranteed races in IndyCar, um, and hopefully able to spring that into a, a full time ride like guys like Spencer Pickett have recently, or Ed Jones, uh, for that matter. Um, but, you know, even if I don't win the championship this year, I'm still looking to next year to being in IndyCar in some uh, sort of capacity. I've already had a taste of driving an IndyCar. I got to test one uh, with Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports earlier this year. Um, so, yeah, definitely the goal is to be in IndyCar next year. I feel like I've uh, prepared for that and should be uh, ready to take on that next challenge. Uh, well, the more immediate challenge for you now is going to Indianapolis uh, with uh, races there next month. How did you get on there uh, last year? Yeah, last year we were uh, we were struggling at at Indianapolis at the road course. Um, I think we had a, a sixth place finish and then a I think like tenth or eleventh place finish in, in race two. So so not great. But but this year I feel like our team is working um, working together a lot better. Uh, you know, we've had pace at St. Pete, and now we, we had really good pace, actually, at Barber. Um, but, again, no results to show there for it. So I think that our road course car is, uh, really came along this year, uh, and we're going to be a, a force at, at the Indianapolis road course. Um, and then, obviously, the Freedom 100 at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway nearly uh, had a shot at winning that last year. So I'll be, I'll be looking forward to uh, getting the W there this year. Uh, well, good luck to you. Uh, Aaron, uh, for the rest of this season. Uh, Aaron Tielitz and uh, Jeremy Shaw, uh, thank you both very much for joining us tonight. Uh, staying in America now with uh, other news from Barber, uh, because there was a round of the IMSA uh, Porsche Challenge, uh, sorry, Prototype Challenge, and uh, two races from the Porsche GT3 Cup as well, and Shea Adam. Uh, can tell us about what happened in those. Uh, let's start with the Prototype Challenge. Hello, Tim. Yeah, the Prototype Challenge race, um, it proved to be interesting because we saw a different car win than perhaps we expected to. The Normas have been super fast all year and last year, and it wasn't a Norma that won the race. Uh, the Extreme Speed Motorsport, Ligier, driven by Chris Wright, he's been the driver of the number 30 all year this year, or for this race, he had his third different co-driver of the year, Yann Claret, and they managed to pull off quite a stunning victory. It was a 35-second gap by the end of the race between them and the second place was the Norma of uh, Rodrigo Fluker and Anthony Simone. Uh, and then again, another car with a new co-driver, Leo Lamellis, driving for Charles Wick Racing, finished in third with a very very impressive performance from Will Owen, who joined the team this weekend. It was one of those races, though, that you really felt like there was something else there that we were missing a little bit. By the end of the race, the battle for second was under a second. Uh, Will Owen chasing down second place. It, it really it felt like the, the pit stops determined how the race was won. And for the first time ever, we saw our minimum pit stop time met on the nose. The cars have to be in the pit lane for a total of four minutes. That's enough time for the driver change to happen for the refueling. Even with single car teams, the driver has to get out of the car and go over the pit wall. It's a safety regulation that they've installed. 
And somebody rolled off the pit lane, I believe it was Sean Rahal, uh, rolled off the pit lane with exactly four dot dot zero zero dot dot zero zero on the clock. So somebody figured it out. Um, but it really, I mean, for a car to win by 35 seconds, it doesn't feel like the series is really developed yet to the point where we think it should be, where we would expect it to be. Um, and I know that the series governing body is looking at that and trying to figure out what can be done. But we also had a really good race in the MPC class where Michael Klemecki came out of nowhere. At one point, he was down in like fifth or sixth position. He drove back up to the front and held on to it, got a very impressive win. The points table, shaped, it shook out a little bit differently than we were expecting it to by the end of the race. But if we want a really close championship, we got to look at those Porsches because, gosh, Tim, they are really giving us good racing. Uh, how do the uh, sports cars suit, Barber? Because, uh, as Jeremy was saying, it's not great for overtaking single-seaters. No, and and it is more of a motorcycle track. I heard you and he discussing that quite a bit, that the intent when the track was built was for motorcycle racing. It is quite narrow and quite difficult to pass. So you do see more of those gutsy moments coming into turn five, which was a problem area in both races, or all three IMSA races, I should say, both series. Drivers getting a bit bold going into turn five. We had a very clean starts through turn one, which can be sort of a draw for drivers with not as much experience at Barber Motorsport Park. Turn one looks like a really good place to pass. It's not in a sports car. Uh, and surprisingly, people behaved through there. So clearly the memo got through. But it is more of a processional track. It's a little bit like Circuit of the Americas in that sense. There are a few really good places to pass. But for the most part, it is a wait until the prime opportunity. When we get the drivers like Will Owen, who come into the series and take advantage of every passing opportunity they get, things do start to get exciting. But we also have moments like we had in the GT3 race with Trent and Estep and Maxwell Root going into turn five, where maybe a door is shown and thought to be open, but it's not completely. And on that note, there was um, a bit of scuffle, it's fair to say, that we're going to have to watch out for for the remainder of the season. Because Trent and Estep in the number three JDX racing machine and Maxwell Root in the right motorsports machine, Maxwell is the Hurley Haywood recipient, uh, the scholarship this year, there's a lot of faith being put into him. And in the first race, which I should say was completely in the dry and went without caution, which is very important because that's quite a big mark. That race had a lot of back, back and forth between both of those youngsters. They're both teenagers. They're both sort of been told that this is your opportunity. They fought back and forth for the third position on the podium all race long, it was going back and forth, and it sort of bubbled over to the point where on lap one of the second race, where conditions weren't as great, it started out as a dry race, there was contact between the two of them where Maxwell Root was turned around and effectively went to the back of the field because of the contacts. Trenton Estep had to serve a drive-through penalty, and even by the end of the race, both parties felt that they were not at fault. That's something that I know will be a factor when we go to mid-Ohio next weekend and we see these cars again as for the front of the field in the gt3 series though it was roman de angelis's race one the number one led from the green flag never looked back held it and said thank you very much i will take this win it was david kolkman who finished in the second place and ultimately it was trenton estep who finished 
in the third position for that first race. The second race was a totally different story, though. It was pouring down rain. Started out dry, so everybody had to start on the dry Yokohama tires. And by about halfway through, after David Kochman had taken the lead from Roman DeAngelis, the caution came out because the track conditions were getting treacherous. Now, a lot of people who perhaps were watching the stream or watching the race online in some form or fashion were wondering why they weren't going back to green. There was a car that ran off in the gravel that had to be retrieved, uh, and I think it was Scott Wellham, if my memory serves. They got the car out of the gravel, no problems there, but then they didn't go back to green. Race control said that the track conditions just weren't safe, and Barb is a track where it tends to rain. That's not something out of the ordinary. They've worked on the drainage in the past, but the pavement itself tends to form a lot of weepers. There tends to be a lot of areas that get very sketchy when it rains a lot, and they just didn't feel safe enough to send it back to green flag conditions and then to not have total carnage. It was a bold decision on race control's part. I'm not entirely sure that I agree with it. I wasn't there to gauge the conditions, but I have to say, looking at our entry list for Mid-Ohio, which again is next weekend, so there's only a week in between these two events, I have to say that uh, it was probably the better part, honor the better part of Valor there to decide to keep it under caution. It was Park Place's first win in the GT3 Cup, though, so a big round of applause for them. But that rivalry that we're starting to see develop between Root and Estep, that is something that it definitely started here. It's not going to end at Barber, though. It's going to keep going the whole year long. Uh, so we have the Porsche GT3 Cup back at Mid-Ohio next weekend, uh, along with the uh, WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, uh, Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, and uh, Lamborghini Super Trofeo North America. Uh, you'll be around for that. Uh, let's stay in North America, uh, though, because there is uh, some big news in NASCAR this week and the return of Matt Kenseth. Yeah. And what cool news it is, too. Matt Kenseth never wanted to, quote-unquote, retire. At the end of the year, all this noise was being made about Dale Jr. retiring, and it was sort of kicked around. Well, what's happening to Matt Kenseth? His ride was effectively taken away from him at Joe Gibbs Racing when they brought Eric Jones onto the team. Eric took over Matt's car. Well, Matt was sort of doing a bit of trolling at the beginning of the year. For the Daytona 500, he posted a picture of himself getting on a private plane and everybody's going, oh, where's he going? Where's he going? Well, turned out to be a skiing vacation with his family instead of going down to the shores of Daytona. He's back, though. He has always said that he wanted to come back. And Matt Kenseth, the former series champion, I think he was 2004 the champ, he's only ever driven for two teams in the highest level of NASCAR. That would be Roush Fenway Racing and, of course, Joe Gibbs Racing. Well, the former the one that was his start-off, the one that he won a championship with, they're bringing him back in. He never wanted to leave, but he didn't want to just stay if it wasn't going to be the right opportunity. He is going to be sharing the number six Ford with Trevor Bain. It's coming into effect very soon, though. It's going to be at the Kansas round this year. So we have Trevor Bain in the car for Talladega this week. Yep, Talladega this week, Dover next weekend or if you see what I mean, over the weekend of uh, the mid-Ohio week. And then the weekend after that is Kansas Speedway. Well, part of what this opens up is that Matt Kenseth can run in the all-star race at Charlotte, which is May 19th. He is 
all out into that as a former series champion. So that means one more race that that car can do. He's also brought on board a new sponsorship deal. That's with Wyndham Hotels. The big question, though, is how does Trevor Bain feel about this? And we don't really know yet. He is a driver who a lot of people got behind when he won the Daytona 500 a few years back. He was the surprise winner, the 21-year-old youngest winner ever. But he's never finished higher than 22nd in points, and he's run three full seasons in NASCAR. People expected him to have done more by now. He hasn't even qualified for the playoffs or the, the chase, the postseason. And his teammate, who's Recky Stenhouse Jr., won two races last year, including Talladega, and made it into the playoffs. So there's a bit of a questioning going on. What exactly is Kenseth's role going to be in this team? Why did they not bring in somebody else new if maybe they're looking to a future driver and Bain isn't it? That's, they haven't quite given up on Trevor yet, but they do understand that they need somebody with the experience and with the expertise to come in and not only help them grow their team to develop their program, to be a real rock in the program, but also to be a coach because they have Xfinity Series drivers as well. They've got Ryan Reed, Chase Briscoe, and Ty Majeski, who Kenseth will effectively now be a role model for. They're they're effectively saying, yeah, going with two young guns may not have been the brightest move, but at least we know a really good place to get somebody who is solid and who gives us a chance at getting some wins. But that team does already have a a former driver on its books who is there really just as an advisor to motivate their young drivers, and that's Mark Martin. Yeah, they do. Um, Having Mark Martin as that advisor, it's been good, but clearly it hasn't done the trick for Trevor. This might even be a ploy on their part to try and get him to step up, to say, hey, look, you're not guaranteed every single week in the race car, so you need to do every week with the car what you possibly can because you don't know if this is your last week. You don't know what we're going to do next week. And they will eventually say who's going to be driving in which races. But it's interesting when you've got teams like Joe Gibbs Racing, the team that uh, Kenseth came from, they've got Kyle Busch who's won the last three races in a row. He's leading the championship. You've, of course, got Penske up at the front. You've got Hendricks sort of fumbling a little bit. And then Stuart Haas Racing, which really is coming up to be the next big powerhouse. They've gotten a ton of wins so far this year already. We're only nine races in, and I think they've got four wins, three from Harvick and one from Boyer. So it's been a very different season. A lot of the tides are changing. And for Kenseth to be brought in, in my opinion, it's not a bad thing. It's a guy who didn't feel like he was done, and he's going to have that extra anger and incentive to go out and show that he can still get it done because he doesn't know where he's going to be next year either. Uh, Shay Adam, thank you very much for joining us this evening. You'll be back with us at Mid-Ohio, not this weekend, but next weekend uh, for the next round of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Uh, tomorrow night here on RS1. It's the Tora Radio Show. Uh, so uh, make sure you join uh, Matt and uh, the guys for that one. Uh, the reason why John Heintoff isn't here tonight is because right now he is commentating on the Forza Racing Championship. Uh, you can watch that at watch.forzarc.com uh, and uh, that's uh, on again a little bit later tonight, 6 p.m. 
uh, on the west coast of uh, the US. So that will be 2 a.m. here in the UK. Uh, and that is all we've got time for tonight. Uh, big thank you to uh, all my guests. That's uh, Nick Damon, Jeremy Shaw, Shay Adam, Graham Goodwin and Aaron Tielitz. Uh, we'll be back with another Midweek Motorsport at 8 o'clock next Wednesday here on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.